Welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, produced by the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia. This is Jordan Rich. This podcast celebrates the unique strengths and creativity so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. Rosalind Abigail Sharanati recently established africadyslexia.org. She's from Ghana, and like children from all over the world, she was not diagnosed with dyslexia till she was a young adult. Her story is encouraging, but it reminds us there's a lot more that needs to be done for children around the globe when it comes to addressing dyslexia, which is why we welcome people like Rosalind to our podcast, Dyslexics Wanted. I know a little bit about Ghana. I know Kofi Annan was from Ghana, and I know where you are on the map, but I don't know enough about education in Ghana, testing for things like dyslexia. Your story is your story. So let's share a little bit of it with the audience. You didn't really know you had dyslexia officially until when, Rosalind? Until like 2017, just about three years ago, um, when I happened to find myself in Switzerland. But prior to that, I was speaking at a, a program. I was sharing my story most of the time, like for the past five, six years, sharing my story of not being able to read and write until about age 17, where I started kind of picking words up. But I never knew that all the stories that I I was sharing had in connection with dyslexia. And so one time after I had finished one of my speaking engagements, a friend of mine said, maybe you are dyslexic. To be honest, when she mentioned the word dyslexia, I was like, what kind of sickness is that Mm. so immediately uh, in my mind I just blocked my mind and said no I don't have any dyslexia so I just said thank you to her and then I left and that was where that was the last time I had dyslexia so I ignored her and I found myself studying in Switzerland then a teacher of mine one time was like are you dyslexic and I was like excuse me (laughs) <laughs> and he said, no, I'm asking, are you dyslexic? And I was like, this is my second time hearing this. Tell me more about it. So he started talking about it with me. And I was like, no, this is interesting. Let me dig more. So I went on Google and started reading about it. And I found the International Dyslexia Association had this online screening you can actually do so I, it was like i was going through and ticking all the boxes finally they were like you may be dyslexic so you need to stick for proper assessor and all of that so i decided to do that and i went to geneva to do it and it came out that yes i'm dyslexic even until then i did i still didn't agree with myself like yes i had this so I came back to Ghana on a vacation and I started searching for where can I have testing in Ghana because I want somebody from Ghana to tell me I'm dyslexic. And I happened to chance on a, a doctor at the, one of the regional hospitals here in Ghana. And she took her time, just like I, I did in Switzerland, took her time through the assessment and we did it. And after that, she was like, I don't even know how you managed to get to where you are in life because this is serious. And one thing that stood out to me or to her that was surprising was she said she didn't have assessments for adults like me, but she has it for people who are young to the age of 13. And I just said, you use it on me anyway, even if it's age mm. 13. 
And she did. And she was like, you are even struggling with using assessments for young children on you. And it's like, you can't even find your, your way out. So I wonder how you managed to kind of go through school and all that. And that was how I became aware that I'm dyslexic. Now, you just said it, and you're being very modest, but you've succeeded in life and gotten through a lot, not even knowing what the diagnosis was. So let's talk a little bit about your life post-school. I mean, we know that there must have been a struggle to read and so forth. Right. So when I couldn't read and write, it was just like very early age, I realized I couldn't read and write because I was living in a, a compound house at the time with my aunt and we had other children who I was much older than them and they are able to read and write and everything and I was different and this continued for so long so even in school I'm always like the oldest person in class just because I was repeating class all the time. Now in Ghana here, we have exams called the BEC, which is Basic Education Certificate Examination. You need to write that exam, you need to pass it before you can go to high school. If you don't pass it, then you are not getting close to high school. So I wrote the exams, but before the exams, the school actually called my parents and told them that Unfortunately, they know I'm growing and all that, but they can't add me to their students who are going to sit for that exams. And their reason was simple that I'm not a good performer. And if they're afraid if they add me to the student going to write the exams, I'll bring their grace down. Mm. And therefore, they're advising my parents, if they want, they should take me to some village where they may be... Um, came to register me as part of their candidates, but for them, no. And so my parents did that. We traveled to a village and got me registered. I came back to the city still with my classmates. We studied. And the week of the exams, I had to travel to this village, go and write exams with people I've never met in my life before. And for me, that moment was where it broke me down, my self-esteem, came really down because imagine a girl who is in her 17, almost 10, 18, I'm not in high school, and even just exams to get me to the high school, a school that I have been with them for like this long is telling me they cannot let me mm. register with them because I'm a non-performer. Mm. So that was where my confidence went into the dream, but nobody knew because I always put that face of lovely face and all that to everybody I meet. Now, they were not wrong. When the results came, I had failed poorly. And so I can't go to the university. Oh, no, I can't go to high school. Um, and at that time, everybody was suggesting to my parents, maybe I should learn a trade, how to do hair, how to make go into fashion. But these are not my interest, area of my interest. But there was a guy who I had met in one of the schools I kept changing, who was a senior to me and met me and was like, so what's the plan after BC? And I'm like, I didn't pass. So now everybody's suggesting things I should go and do, but I really don't have interest in any of them. So this guy was like, but have you thought about going to catering? And I was like, excuse me, so catering is culinary. Right. And I was like, 
why should I go into that? And he said, no, because I know you. You you love those things. You like culinary. And you've cooked a couple of times and gave us some. And it's, it's lovely. So I suggest you go into that. But here in Ghana, when you go that route, it's like people put you in the box that consider you to be nothing. Like you really didn't do well in school. So the last route for you is to go through catering. Another thing is it's very expensive. And so when I told my parents that I want to go into catering, my dad, I remember, was like, you're just going to waste another resource. We've spent so much on you, and now you want to go into catering, which is not something that is less expensive. And I cried and I cried and I cried. Finally, he got me into the culinary school. I remember the day we got there, he told the proprietor of the school that, I don't have any expectation for this girl. Just put her in the school. Let her walk through the school ah. and, and let her finish. And so he left me. Now when he left me, I don't know how things happened, but I started enjoying myself in the school. I loved the environment I was in because this is whereby for the first time probably in my life, I've seen books that are colorful, with different examples. You know how culinary books are very colorful and lovely. And so I opened this book and the teacher is there saying to you, maybe one cup of flour and I can actually measure mm. a physical cup of flour. Uh, it talks about a butter and you can actually see butter. So for me, I think now that I think about it, I think because I was seeing now you give me word, but I can see it in physicality. This is what you're talking about. What's, what started kind of shifting my mindset. And you said it, uh, you were almost traumatized for years because people said you are not performing. And what a horrible thing to say to somebody who has gifts in other areas. And you love to talk about the gifts that people in, in your position have. Why is it so important to accentuate these gifts? For me, I feel like everybody, every human being on earth has a special gift. One cannot realize their gifts or their dreams if they don't have somebody pushing them, or if they are not in an environment that will enable them to realize that gift that they have in them. For me, it was just by slim chance of meeting this gentleman who was just a year older than me, who said, no, I think you're good for this. Something that my parents didn't even know about me. Yeah. I think you are good for this, and this is what you should pursue. And I have pursued culinary gone through, finished three years, come into the industry, work very well, go back to school, study hospitality management, become super good in the industry here that I work in, go back to Switzerland, still be in hospitality, finish it, go to Disney, work in hospitality, back in Ghana, and bringing the skills back to Ghana to impact our industry over here. And this was as a result of somebody saying that, I know you are good, and this is what is good for you, and you should pursue. And I did pursue it, 
And lo and behold, it gave me the life that I, I have today. I hear from so many people, Rosalind, who tell me there was that one teacher or that one mentor or even a friend, and they made a difference. Uh, you're making a difference from what I read. You're active in trying to help other people. Tell me more about that. So um, when I became aware about dyslexia, I was actually sad. I was so, so, so sad. I was like, Okay, so dyslexia and all the people I see talking about it are relating it back to the education and intervention, structural intervention learning. And so then that is lacking in Ghana. I travel to other African countries just for the work I do and I start to have conversation with people and you can realize that there is that lack where people don't even know about dyslexia and other related learning uh, disabilities. So I took it upon myself. I just start to share a story. So I wrote that first article I sent you and it received about 300, more than 300 emails from parents who don't know dyslexia, but are saying, oh my goodness, you are describing my child. You are describing my child and I feel like my child may be dyslexic. And stories will come and say, my child has been called a witch because he or she cannot perform in school. And so I have to school, homeschool my child. I didn't know what was wrong with this child. So I've been taking him to prayer, come to pray for him. Or I've been beating my child because I feel he's wasting my resources and he's being lazy and all that. Mm. But reading this article kind of opens my mind up that my child may be dyslexic. So with all the emails that were coming on, I went on the radio and talked more about dyslexia. And I had tons of calls coming in. That was where that's the moment for me that, no, I don't need to just once in a while talk about dyslexia or write an article and put down. I just need to do something. And if I can bring my mind back to what the young boy Evans did to me, he's just one person who wasn't even working. He doesn't, it's not, he didn't use money to help direct my path. It's just words and direction. That is what he did. So for me, then I can do more than he did. I can give it back to a lot of people. So why don't I pay that kindness of Evans, pay it forward to people? And that brought me to establish the Africa Dyslexia Organization. By joining us on this podcast, just another way to reach a whole lot of people all across the world. There's one thing, though, before I ask you about uh, the, the organization. In my research, before I chatted with you today, I noticed uh, Ghana like a lot of countries in Africa, is comprised of people with multiple languages. It looked like about 30 languages or dialects. You know, here in America, for the most part, people speak one, maybe two languages. We have enough trouble with one. I'm just wondering, did that enter into, does that enter into the challenges for students in general in Ghana to have so many languages in, in a relatively small country? Well, it doesn't really. The reason why I say that is, yes, we do have different language, dialects, and all that's across Ghana, but it's specific to a tribe. It's okay. specific to regions. So, for instance, I am from the Eastern region. My mom is Krobo. My dad is Achim. Um, I really am not able to speak my mom's language very well because it's quite heavy for me, but my dad's language is like the universal 
language that we everybody kind of understand or speak here, which is the tree, T W I. It is the tree. Yeah, so everybody is able to speak here. And when it comes to our education system, we use the official language, English. So English is the language that is used to teach like almost everybody in Ghana. Then we have our local language, which is the tree. Mm-hmm. So you study tree or you study Ghana. Ghana, if you are in the greater Accra region, is for the people living in the Ghana. And then tree is for those in the Eastern Ashanti region and all that. So those three, like English, tree, and Ghana. Then, if you are from a specific tribe, your parents may encourage you to kind of study the the people from the Vota region speaks the Vota language, and then Panti speak their Panti language. So they may encourage you to read, read or learn how to to read and write that. But for school, it's either you're doing English with Chi or English with Gan. All right. Thank you for elucidating that. I, I take a look at that. And my eyes glaze over because it's so challenging for people in this country to just get English down. I mean, but thank you for that. So let's, before we conclude, uh, talk about uh, Africa. This is, the, this is the real soul of what you're doing uh, for others. Uh, tell me what the organization is is doing, how it's comprised, and what you look for in the future with it. Thank you. So Africa Dyslexia Organization is a really, really small startup organization and we are barely three months old. I started it when I we came into COVID and I had a lot of time on my hand. I was like, let's start it. So it's basically an organization here in Ghana that is creating awareness, advocacy, and also finding ways to give support for people with dyslexia in Ghana and hopefully across Africa very soon. So our first uh, initiative that we did was with Nessie Learning UK, where they have this upcoming movie called Michael. And it's a story about the founder of Nessie who also grew up as dyslexic, but his childhood story. So we took that movie and screened it for the Ghanaian community it's a short movie, 20 minutes, but it tells you everything about, like it gives you an insight about what dyslexia is about and the struggle people go through with dyslexia. So we had people who are teachers, school owners, uh, different fathers, mothers come on the line. And how many? We had 402 people registered for the event. And on the day of the event, we had 223 people who turned on live and we screened, we screened the movie over three hours. So it's two, 20 minutes, but we screened it. And then we had a discussion about it. So mm-hmm. we had a discussion where we had Mike Jones and Tiffany Jones joined us because they were screening and answered questions. That was the moment where some teachers are like, this is my first time coming in contact, like hearing about dyslexia. This is my first time knowing. And so that is our first initiative, which is for awareness. The next one we are looking at doing is to, because of the COVID, but to organize testing for the parents that have reached out so far to us that their children may be potential dyslexic. 
is to find it for them to have testing to actually confirm their children mm. are dyslexic. Then we will be able to find a way to have some teachers trained. You have done a remarkable job, uh, not only in life, but for others. I think that's a hallmark of people with dyslexia that I've met. They want to give back if they find the, the answer to their experience. They want to give back. And that is so important and so special these days. I, I can't thank you enough. And we'll give those uh, links out. People can reply to you directly. But if you're such a doll for joining us and really have a great message, thank you so much and continued success. And I thank you so much because I just reached out to you like just this. You don't know me from anywhere, but you responded to me in a swift manner that I tell people just last week I made a post that since I came into the dyslexia community, everybody that I have met is super nice and have so much empathy that I feel like other communities should look out to because this is too beautiful. I will convey that. Uh, you've conveyed it yourself, but I will convey that to other guests and other organizations. So Rosalind, good luck and uh, continue success. Bye. Many thanks to Rosalind. We wish her and everyone in Africa and beyond all the best going forward. Please visit africadyslexia.org. And thanks for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. Please feel free to contact us at our new web address, dyslexicswanted.org. That's dyslexicswanted.org. We welcome guest or topic suggestions. We want to share your story. Dyslexics Wanted is a production of the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia.